my history nerds and historians. My name is Christina and this is F-Top History. This is where we talk about a little tidbit from history. It's super fucked up. I do apologize if I'm a little raspy today. I don't know what's happened to my voice. But I'm trying to get these episodes out as fast as possible so that I can like have it all in my brain when I do my tours, which I officially passed my test and now I'm just waiting on my licensing badge, which should hopefully be here by like mid-September, maybe, I hope, so that I can do tours. Grad school also starts around that time, so it's bound to be a super fun endeavor. New opportunities! This is episode five of my Salem series. Hopefully y'all are still listening and are still interested. I'm trying to pick stories about people that are like captivating, at least to me or really cool stories about people who may have been marginalized or forgotten about. And today we're talking about another one. Today we're going to talk about Squaw Sachem of the Mystic and the Namke people, the original settlers of Salem and other parts of Massachusetts, but they had a large settlement in Salem. We're also going to talk about colonization, which is going to be fun, but an important thing to talk about because again, here at FTUP History, we believe in critical race theory. And if you don't think that we should talk about that or that it should be taught in schools, thank you so much for listening today. Enjoy your other podcast endeavors because this is not the one for you. For those of you that remain, thank you so much. Sit back, relax, and practice your, oh good God, what the fuck faces. So if you come to Salem and other areas in the North Shore part of Massachusetts, you'll occasionally see the word Namkeg. You'll see some stores. Uh, I think there's an auto repair shop or something. There's an area that's like 150 miles west of here in the Berkshires that's called the Namkeg Historical Site. And when you research it a little bit, you'll see that when the colonists came here in the early 1600s, they thought that that was the name of the area. Which is not correct. So right off the boat, they're already making mistakes. So the settlers named the area Namkeeg, but a lot like Christopher Columbus, who landed in what is now the West Indies and decided that it was India, the settlers came here, heard the word Namkeeg, and figured that that was the name of the area when it was actually the name of the people who lived here. So to explain a little bit further, there wasn't like a huge political unity within New England area when it came to the Native American indigenous tribes. So in what became the Massachusetts Bay Colony, there were the Nipmunk people, the Penacook people, and the Massachusetts people. And then from, and there were others too, but those were like the main ones in this area. And then from there, they were divided into further smaller tribes that were typically named after the Sachem, or what in English could be referred to as the chief, as well as like a well-respected Sachem from the past. Now, the job of the Sachem was assigning land, mediating disputes, trade, diplomacy, and declaring war, and then making major decisions with the warriors during that war. Sachem received their title through patrilineal inheritance, but if they were inept or disliked by the people, they could be overthrown. And then within these tribes under the Sachem, there were lesser Sachems, shamans, and warriors that were almost like what we would today consider like generals in American society. The Namke people lived in North Shore, Massachusetts, with one of their largest settlements being near Salem. But by the time the settlers got to Massachusetts and met the people in the late 1620s, their numbers were slim. When Captain John was exploring the area in the early 1610s, there were about 3,000 natives in the area. And unfortunately, a lot of the natives picked up diseases from the English that were here. I don't think that 
and this is my personal opinion, at this point in time, the natives getting sick was malicious biological warfare on the colonizers part. There's a lot of talk in settlers journals in this time period where they believe that like God is getting involved against the natives because they don't understand why these terrible plagues are affecting the native people, but not the European colonizers. I can't say <laughs> that later people weren't catching on that when natives were were meeting with the English, they would get sick and die and do it intentionally and, you know, give blankets and stuff that were infected. But I think at this time, I don't think it was intentional. So between 1614 and 1617, there were actually three different epidemics that wiped out a lot of the Namkeeg population as well as a lot of the other tribes in the area. And then there were also two different attacks by the Tarantine people of Maine, who were a neighboring tribe who took advantage the weakened state of the people here to attack in 1615 and then again in 1619. John Smith wrote in 1619 to 1620, quote, where I had seen 100 or 200 savages, there is scarce 10 to be found. One account that I read said that Natapachamut, the sachem of the Namki people, lived in Lynn with his people, which is the town that's right south of Salem. But the Tarantine people were threatening him, so they moved over to Medford, which is about 20 miles southwest of Lynn. But during the attack in 1619, Natapachamut sent his wife and their four children farther inland for protection. And when his wife and children came back later, they came back to decimation. The second attack actually killed Natapachamut and a lot of the men who were left behind. Following his death, the people needed a leader, and Nanapashamut's son were too young. So his wife stepped forward and began leading the people, which was awesome, because like I said, this position of Sachem was traditionally held by males. They were female leaders sometimes, but it was relatively rare. She was referred to as Squaw Sachem, which basically just means Lady Chief, and she became the most important leader of the Massachusetts people. We're not really sure what her given name was. Unfortunately, I read that the Massachusetts people didn't usually use the name of their chiefs as a sign of respect to them. Squasatchum's sons later also were heads of tribes or held authority in parts of the tribes around Massachusetts. I apologize now. I'm going to butcher these names. Wanahawkwaham, known as Sagamore John by the English. Montawampate, which was called, who was called Sagamore James by the English, and Wenapoikin, who was called Sagamore George by the English. They were sachems in Mystic River, Saugus, and Salem, respectively. In the 1630s, Squasachem remarried to a healer named Webkawit. One source that I read called him the great physician of her nation. But unlike what would have happened in a lot of other cultures, she kept her power and was a great leader that married a great healer. They were a fucking power couple. In the early 1620s, of the around 3,000 people or so that were in the area, only about 500 remained, and their numbers were further decreased after a smallpox epidemic in the 1630s, which actually killed two of Squasatchum's sons and left to the third really disfigured. But Squasatchum was strong and relatively healthy, as far as I can tell, and she had a large territory that she was in charge of. It was about 20 miles wide and 30 miles long along the eastern coast of Massachusetts, basically like the greater part of Boston up through to the Salem Marblehead area. So when Roger Conant came here in 1626, it was part of Squasatchum's land. And that's kind of when that whole like Namkeeg 
confusion happened, but the relationship with the natives in Salem was actually relatively peaceful. It's actually where Salem gets its name from, from the Hebrew word shalom, meaning peace, that was then anglicized to Salem. People who came here to Salem had first lived elsewhere in New England before, so who knows what kind of situations they found themselves in and if the other tribes were welcoming which is totally understandable if they weren't, but the numbers were so small here that it was kind of beneficial on both sides for the natives and the English to have like an okay relationship with each other. One of the things that Squasatchum is really known for is being the sachem that signed the deed that granted land to the colonists in 1639. She was really smart about it too, because before this, there was this large misunderstanding between the colonists and the natives because the colonists understood and a deed agreement as a purchase agreement that would subsequently mean I buy this land, you move away, and this is now my land, and you go live elsewhere. Where the natives understood it more, this is my land, and now it is also your land, and we will live here together, and this deed is allowing you to live here with us peacefully, and we won't kill each other. So there was a lot of issues with that and fighting between the colonizers and the English. So Squasatchum specifically stated in the deed that she signed in the late 1630s that certain areas of land were for her and her people while she was alive. And then after her death, that land would go to John Winthrop, who was the governor of Massachusetts, and the native people would move somewhere else. And in return for this area of land, she got 21 coats, 19 wampum, which were strings of shells that were used as currency and three bushels of corn. And she signed her name with a bow and arrow. She sold more land after this, but this was her largest transaction. In 1644, Squasatchum signed a treaty of submission to the English and her people then came under control of the Puritans and began being taught the Bible. Squasatchum went blind in 1662 and then had a stroke in 1667. And then later that same year, she died. Massachusetts, a couple years after the last treaty that she signed, the Praying Town started. So this is basically the English attempting to save the souls of the natives by converting them to Christianity. So they were sent to towns where they couldn't speak their language or practice their culture in any way. They had to cut their hair and wear traditional English clothing, and they couldn't go back to see family that may not have wanted to convert. They also made the indigenous people follow the English gender expectations. So the natives split their work differently. The men would handle matters away from the home. They would hunt and forage and participate in raids against other tribes. And then the women would handle domestic matters in the home, raising the children, and they also tended the crops. So in the praying towns, they were expected to work long hours and the women were restricted to the home only. And then the men had to work the crops and hunt. So it was this really big cultural difference between the two. Praying towns were all over Massachusetts, and eventually a couple opened up in Connecticut as well, but Massachusetts is mostly the area that's known for them. There isn't um, a praying town listed in Salem, but there are ones in the greater Boston area, so if the Namkeek people and other similar tribes in the area were subjected to these praying towns, they would probably just have been transported to them. There are arguments that the indigenous people who joined these praying towns were small and weakened group that were decimated by disease and war raids and losing a lot of their land to the settlers. So they sought protection, but they were also seeking explanation for why their people were so affected when the colonizers seemingly were not affected. Even though we now understand like the microbiology behind it, it didn't make sense back then. So a lot of the indigenous tribes were looking for something that was beyond the explanation from their shamans and 
the Christian God seemed like he could have been an answer. There was still a large mistrust between the colonists and the indigenous people, though. So a lot of the colonizing Europeans felt like they only joined these praying towns to keep the connection to their land and not because the indigenous people were actually trying to convert or because they actually believed in Christianity, especially when one of their people died and they would still bury them with their indigenous traditions. But the natives would also question the Puritans and how their behaviors were Christian because they were doing a lot of things that weren't necessarily Christian and were against what the Bible was saying, like committing adultery and et cetera, et cetera. One of the sad things about the praying towns is that it made the indigenous people sitting ducks. If another tribe were to attack a group of colonists, some of these colonists would sometimes seek out retaliation and they would go to the praying towns and murder the indigenous people who had nothing to do with the attack and weren't even part of the same tribe most of the time, but had similar complexions to the ones who did attack them. So they thought that that was a good enough retaliation and that's bullshit. And there's no record of any Massachusetts tribe surviving after 1800 in the area. So this all just kind of boils down to another sad story about the treatment of indigenous people in America. Sorry, that one kind of ended on a bummer. Squaw Satchin was amazing, though. Um, we don't know her first name. And because there were other Squasachums in the names, she's sometimes referred to as Squasachum of Mystic or Queen of the Mystic after Luther R. Sims wrote a paper in 1884 calling her that because she lived in Mystic River, not because she was a witch or anything. But she ruled over so much more than just Mystic River, like I said, including Salem. Something I just read recently that was pretty cool is that Town Hall is commissioning a portrait in honor of the Namki people that will be painted by an indigenous person named Chris Pappen from Chicago. So it's pretty cool because the town has a bunch of statues of old white guys and streets and buildings are named after notable white guys who visited here once over 200 years ago. So it's really nice to see recognition of the indigenous people who live here. There's also a statue in Arlington supposedly of Squasachum as well. So that's kind of cool. Thank you so much for listening today. If you like what you heard today, please consider leaving a review because it's free and it's a good way to help the podcast out and help me continue telling these stories. And if you want to hear me talk about more, please consider subscribing. Right now I'm doing the Salem related series stories, but that will not last forever. So if you have any stories from history or mythology that you'd like to hear me talk about, please reach out. You can email me at fdephistory.gmail.com or reach out on any of the social media platforms at fdephistory.com. I'm working on a website, but I have no idea when that will be done enough to take suggestions. So for now, just email me or whatever. Slip into my DMs if you have a suggestion. (laughs) And remember, friends, history may be watching you. So don't fuck it up. Bye.